episodes of Lexus DBF with the Precious Little Sleep Podcast, and I'm here with Ashby Mizell. Well, hello. So today, Ashby and I are going to tackle some reader questions. As you know, we get hundreds of questions and email um, each month, and we try to pick out the ones that we think are the most relatable or the most common, and we've got seven winners for you today that I think you'll find relate to something you've struggled with or common issues you've heard about. Well, let's jump in. I'll read this first one here. All right. My son is nine months and slept in his crib until he got sick at five months, and we started co-sleeping. Now he will only sleep in my bed. Naps and bedtime, always in my bed. He goes to bed between 6 and 7 p.m., and I move him into the crib until 10 or 12 when we're back to co-sleeping. He wakes around 3 a.m. for a bottle and then back to sleep until somewhere between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. The problems are, one, he isn't safe in bed anymore because he's a constant mover. Two, I can't sleep because I'm either getting kicked in the face or worried he will crawl off the bed. Three, my husband gets up work, up for work at 4 a.m. and his alarm and moving about the room wakes baby, which fills my sleep-deprived brain with rage towards my <laughs> hubby since I usually just got my bundle of joy back to sleep an hour ago. What do I do? <laughs> what to do? You know, I think this brings up some really nice issues that oftentimes people don't really think about when they're deciding to co-sleep with a a younger baby, which Mm -hmm. is, what happens when they're older and mobile? And this answers that question. They crawl around the bed and kick you in the face. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They don't become – they're not real calm sleepers. And ultimately, the fog of the newborn schedule clears and everybody's got to go back to work and get up early and go to bed at times that the baby doesn't want to go to bed. and I mean, and, and technically speaking, I mean, in, in this case, this parent is able to put the child, um, you know, in the crib at bedtime. And she doesn't say so explicitly, but it's pretty clear that this child does not fall asleep independently. So she's mm-hmm. either rocking, cuddling, nursing, or feeding to sleep and then sneaking him into the crib, which works for a few hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he wakes up at 10 and, you know, is not having that crib business anywhere, you know, any further. And then you're back into your bed. So from 10 o'clock until 6 a.m., you're basically night parenting, you know, a nine-month-old who's waking up, climbing around, wanting to eat, you know, <laughs> poking you in the eye. Um, so, so sleep isn't very restful. There's a lot of active management going on. Yeah, and ultimately the sol- solution here, you know, this is a classic sleep association. The solution is going to have to include having your son fall to sleep independently in the space where you want him the whole night. Yeah. So if that is the crib, which it sounds like it is. I mean, the, the yeah, the, the co-sleeping isn't working. Any situation which has you full of rage towards your partner. On <laughs> or a, getting up for work and not. <laughs> on a daily work. basis. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is not a good plan. That's, um, that's not sustainable long term. Daily rage we want to avoid as a plan not to not to do that. So, yeah. So the issue is really about how her nine-month-old is falling asleep. Mm-hmm. And the answer is he's not falling asleep on his own. And he's not falling asleep in his crib. Now, you know, him falling asleep in his crib, which is currently, you know, next to their bed, could happen in their room if they wanted to keep him in their room yep. for whatever reason – the issue is not where the crib is. The issue is that he falls asleep in it by himself. Right. Now, you know, when people are making these kind of transitions at nine months, a lot of times they kind of are ready to move the child out of their room. And that's a personal decision. But 
you know, if your goal is to have that child in their own room, this would be a time to kind of sort of bite the bullet and make some changes around how he falls asleep and where he sleeps. But that's not essential. That's more of a personal preference. And then the issue is, how do we get him to fall asleep in the crib? Well, as always, there are options. And which option will work best for you is really determined by your history, your temperament, your child's temperament, and how quickly you're looking to see results. You know, we've discussed slip slip in previous podcasts. And certainly, you know, slipping into sleep is an option here that will work uh, if we are fully committed to him falling asleep on his own in his bed. Tears will ensue. Change is hard. But he'll get it pretty quickly if you give him the space to figure it out. If that's completely off the table, we could talk other options about, you know, making gradual changes, you know, putting him in his crib and then, you know, rubbing his back or his belly. I will say that I think very gradual changes are very hard if that crib is in the same room and you're standing right next to it. It is very hard. And, you know, especially, you know, if he's mobile, he's going to crawl around or pull himself up to a standing position. And, you know, these things will happen. But those are options. I mean, it's not to say that it can't happen. It's just, again, it gets back to how many nights or weeks are you willing to put into this and how strong can you be about holding to the plan and not conceding defeat when you've been at it for two hours and he's still wide awake. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I, I don't mean to say that it can't work, but just to say that, you know, these are the trade-offs uh, that have to be um, established. But the, the bottom line is he's got to fall asleep in his crib and the co-sleeping isn't working. <laughs> yep. All right. Question number two. My baby is almost nine months and we sleep trained her for nights uh, at just over four months because she went from being a good sleeping baby to waking up multiple times a night. So the nights are now great. But. She refuses to sleep anywhere other than strapped to us in a carrier with a ridiculous set of bouncing rituals during the day. By the way, I would love to see a video of these bouncing rituals. <laughs> we tried nap training around the six-month mark, following the doctor's suggestion of putting her down daily for about a month, and she would cry for at least 20 minutes, and then we'd go get her. And that went nowhere. Any ideas? I'm open to all suggestions. We tried extinction nap training a few times, and it went nowhere. She just fights and ramps up until she's freaking out like a newborn. Well, I would want to know what happened during these, we tried extinction nap training a few times. Does that mean she's cried for 20 minutes and then was freaking out and we went and nursed her to sleep? I I wonder what that means. Well, her thing is bouncing, right? She's got the bouncing ritual. Bouncing, so it probably was, and then we bounced. Uh, Yes. Or does this mean she simply didn't nap all day, although I think six months old pretty you know there's likely they're going to be at least a car nap in there somewhere if they're not taking solid so yeah so if she cries for 20 minutes and then we go get her and bounce her to sleep um you know obviously that's that's not a not a productive strategy right uh or we just go back to our bouncing rituals which again very curious to see (laughs) the bouncing ritual is but the um, first thing i would look at is making sure there's not any little micro naps in there that are throwing mm -hmm. off your sleep drive I think sometimes at this age there might be might nurse or feed your child and uh, they Car naps, close their naps. eyes for just a flutter and then it's nap time in twenty minutes and you're trying to bounce and they're really fighting it because that little tiny flutter of the eyes has popped your little sleep drive bubble. And the other thing is, to me, extinction is not the same as we let her cry for 20 minutes and then bounce her to sleep. So it's not clear from the email. Maybe she really fully committed to not bouncing to sleep 
But the fact that she says a few times, you know, or that we'd go get her sort of suggests that there was some inconsistency and kind of lack of commitment. So definitely, if that's the case, you know, one answer would be you really need to commit to not bouncing to sleep and giving her the space to figure it out and commit for more than a few times. You know, we're talking days or weeks. And this means potential for skipped naps. If she complains and gets mad at you and does not take a nap and it's been an hour, the nap is done and off mm-hmm. you go. That's that's it. We we go, okay, not, didn't happen, moving on. Which is hard because then they're very, then you go get in the car and there's likely to be those little cat naps, you know. Oh. That's why oh. nap training is hard and I kind of think as a, a tale of warning to others is, a little working towards that independent nap sleep earlier rather than later is yes. generally a good idea. Not saying you can never hold your newborn for naps, nothing like that. But, you know, if by six months every single nap is be- is um, in the on your lap or on your boob. Ritual, yeah, it's really hard to get out of the older the child. I really, I really am curious about this bouncing ritual. Um, because the fact that she uses the word ritual suggests that it's more involved than just like, you know, sit on the yoga ball bouncing, which right. is what most people do. And I'm really, really, <laughs> really keen. But yeah, so I would say full commitment to extinction is definitely an option. Now they've tried that, or at least there's a sense of defeat about it. So it's not the only option, but again, like we just mentioned with the first question, it's the most direct option and it's the one that is least error prone. Now, if that's completely off the table, because this mom is feeling like it's just an absolute failed strategy for them, you know, there are alternatives to kind of gradually wean off her sleep associations. These child sleep associations are probably movement, Mm -hmm. being upright, and on mom. So we've got three big things coming on here that would each need to be removed. So, you know, um, like – movement could be the first to go where we stop bouncing. So we put her in the carrier, but we just kind of, you know, sway lightly or kind of work on less ritual, more quiet swaying. And then gradually get to the point where we just put her in the carrier and then go into a dark room and stand there. You know, once we get her falling asleep just in the carrier without the ritual, we work on lying down with her. So mom is there and she's still being cuddled, but we're now in a prone position versus standing upright. And then if that works, we start putting some space in there. So instead of having her like snook to your chest on a baby carrier, we're just kind of next to her on a bed, putting little inches in there, making some space gradually. And I like that, the the laying down method and laying down and padding, jiggling, mm-hmm. only because I feel like there's not a real smooth transition from carrier to crib. It well, it, it, listen, I, I, I don't want to mis, misrepresent anything. This is a, pr- a frustrating process that can take weeks, mm-hmm. but it is your option. If, if, yes. if the tears are in an anathema and if 20 minutes of screaming like a newborn is going to send you flying in there to restart the ritual, this is your alternative. But yes, we have to acknowledge that it's going to take weeks. It's not each step of this process and it's not always a smooth process. I mean, I can say just have her in a carrier but stop with the bouncing and wait until she falls asleep. But that's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. She may simply not sleep when the bouncing is removed. But but that effectively would be your, your game plan. Yep. So our next question. We're the parents that didn't want to do the cry it out method. This, Editor's this, note. This <laughs> is all parents. That email we made me laugh. <laughs> But our daughter would lose it, and I just couldn't handle hearing her cry. Now we rock to sleep. She is now 13 months old. 
We do the same routine, and she is only getting up once in the early mornings to nurse again. I was feeling pretty good about this. However, about one week ago, I could not put her down into her crib and have her stay asleep. She'd pop back up, crying hysterically, and try to climb out of the bed. I wouldn't even get to pull up the crib railing. Three to four times, putting her to sleep and setting her down, and BAM! Up again. I cannot understand what is happening or why. My husband thinks it's just her wanting to spend more time with me. My friend thinks she's manipulating me. I've tried everything I can think of. What is up? (laughs) Uh, We're the parents that didn't want to do the cried out thing. Unlike all the other parents who are really keen for it. (laughs) And then and also I think uh, we tried, but we couldn't handle her hearing her cry. Which often means we tried and then we sort of reinforced the crying and potentially made it harder next time possibly possibly so what i love about this question is you know there's a huge variety of ranges for when babies do things when they crawl when they walk when they stand when they suck their thumb when they whatever so we often talk about independent sleep you know causing problems at anywhere between four to eight months. And that's, you know, that's the bell curve. But there's a huge range of when it causes problems. And here's a case where it was not a problem until it's a problem. And for this child, that's 13 months. So the rock to sleep was a winning strategy for 13 months and now is not. Um, Clearly is not. And it's not too late to change. It's not. But just to her question, it's not that It's not that the child suddenly wants to spend more time with mom, and it's not that she's manipulative. It's that she's not – she doesn't know how to fall asleep, and Mm -hmm. she's old enough and smart enough to be wise to you. And I always Mm -hmm. say this. If if your parenting plan involves the word sneak, it's not a good plan because your plan is now you rock her to sleep and sneak her into the crib. And she's wised up to you, and she's like, nah-uh. Nuh-uh. So the second her butt hits that crib, she's like, wait, what? No. I know where this leads. You're trying to sneak out on me, mom. No way. Hypervigilant. Hypervigilant. And she's up at the railing and it takes three to four times. And as soon as her butt hits the crib, boom, boom, boom. In fact, what's worse is this 13-year-old, this 13-month-old is now fighting sleep because she knows that the minute she falls asleep, you're sneaking out. And the only way for her to keep you there is to stay awake. So now bedtime is not a smooth process. It's probably taking an hour to an hour and a half. And it's stressing everybody out because your child has a job to do. She can't just fall asleep. She's got to keep you there. So she's working hard to keep you there. Um, So sneak is not not a good tool for us in parenting. We don't want to be sneaky. And once again, the answer is independent sleep at bedtime. It's the rocking. It is a theme. And and as you mentioned, you know, this, you know, this is not an easy hurdle. We all have to get over this hurdle, but it has to be addressed. Now, if we could go back in time and do it at six months, would things be easier? It's hard to say, right? Who knows? We we don't have the technology to do alternate dimension, you know, studies to really see what would have happened. But, you know, one argument would be that it might have been easier because now we have a strong-willed mobile toddler who, you know, yeah, is going to pop up and scream at you the minute you plunk her into the crib. And, you know, experience shows that toddlers tend to kick up more of a fuss for louder and longer than younger kids. So, Just in general, yes. Not just at bedtime, right? Yeah, just right. as a general theme. So so now we have this, you know, a, what used to be a previously a, an a, 
you know, a fun bedtime routine. We do our little thing. We rock her to sleep. Now it's a big fight and we have a nightly battle. And uh, the only way to break out of this habit is to really establish this child to have the ability to fall asleep without you. And thus they no longer have a job to do because you're not sneaking out and they don't have to fight sleep to keep you there because they're falling asleep. So mm-hmm. tough stuff, tough stuff. But let's take a pause for a moment and bring up some exciting news. We have a podcast sponsor. Yes, we do. Do-do-do. And it is the Reverie Power Bed. Yes. So if you can't spell that because that's a obscure word, beautiful word. It's R-E-V-E-R-I-E. So what is the Power Bed? Well, a power bed works with your existing bed frame and mattress. So it doesn't replace any of the things you already have in there, but it adds to it. And what it does is it enables you to raise or lower the head of your mattress or the foot of your mattress based on what's most comfortable to you and what you're doing in the moment. So, you know, especially for moms, like, let's be honest, we may not sleep a lot, but we spend a lot of time in our beds. We're nursing infants, we're recovering from C-sections, you know, we're parenting babies in the middle of the night. A lot of this is happening in the bed, and it's really handy to be able to raise the top of your bed if you're going to be, like, nursing and sitting up with an infant, um, to raise the foot of your bed if you have, you know, swollen ankles. (laughs) And I think that uh, C-section moms is key there, too, because your abdominal strength and abilities are about zero after a C-section. It would be nice to have There's a lot of really nice benefits. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, as your kids get older, you're reading books with your kids in bed. You might be having family movie night in bed. So, you know, really the bedroom and the bed itself becomes a home base. And the reverie helps to make your bed more functional and support you as you're parenting, as you're nursing, as you're feeding, as you're night parenting, all of the things that happen in your bed now that you have young children. So and you- to be clear, this is a platform that you slip under your existing mattress exactly it is not the mattress itself it's a platform so you can use the mattress you already have your wonderful mattress it works with that yeah um so if you want to learn more about this go to momsneedsleep.com backslash pls uh you can also check out reverie on facebook.com backslash reverie or on twitter at reverie sleep so check it out all right ashby back to question. question number four all right this one's great i this one's great my 6.5-month-old is up an average of 7 to 10 times a night. Yes, I Oof. breastfeed him every freaking time he goes to sleep. <laughs> but anyways, are you familiar with a pattern of sleep? 45 minutes long, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 45 minutes, 1 hour, 2 hours, 2 hours, 1 hour, 1 hour? <laughs> Doctor says he's fine, happy, healthy, naps 3 times a day, good bedtime routine, long naps, extra feeding in the evening, etc. It just seems so crazy. That's, that's is it, it is crazy. That is, is crazy. Is it really just the most hideous form of feed to sleep association ever? Or do you think something else is going on? So the answer here is yes, it's a sleep association. And no, it's not something else. Yeah. This is actually a classic sleep association pattern. Yes, right classic. Here. We're very familiar with that pattern. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I wish not. But 45 minutes, 15, 20, 45, one hour, two hour, two hour, two hour, one hour, one hour. Yes, we've been there. That's that, classic. Sorry. Yeah. This poor woman, she's like, surely, surely no one else has ever had anything this bad happen to them. And I I'm know, like, it feels like that, though, when you have that, when you're up that much. It's just like, this can't, can't be this bad. And yeah. the reality is here, I think this, this person who emailed you this question really just wants to make sure it's a sleep association, right? It's not something else, because this doesn't seem like it could possibly be natural, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it's... 
it's really, really frustrating. And, and, and what I feel bad about is you can tell this person has probably been in like a whole bunch of like parenting groups yes, and forums yeah. and they've gotten 400 answers about why this is happening. You know, people are like, it's probably your milk supply and you should take mm. some supplements and maybe it's because you had a cup of caffeine a week ago. Oh, and you need to, it's a gluten allergy. It's a gluten. <laughs> have you tried oh. lavender? Like there's all these, you know, people have like a million reasons to explain this really hideous night pattern. I mean, I feel, I feel sympathetic, sympathetically tired for her but it really comes down to the fact that she's nursing this kid to sleep and he cycles through light sleep and is demanding the nurse to fall back into sleep Mm -hmm. so there was a little continuation to this question which kind of made me laugh can Can sleep sleep training training oh go ahead oh go ahead oh can sleep training help this poor guy or will he just be up seven times a night to cry it out one more fun tidbit my secret to getting him to sleep when breastfeeding isn't cutting it me in the dark on my knees as I swing baby wildly in his swing with one hand and hold the blow dryer on high, only for noise, in the other. Life. What a dark <laughs> path I have gone down. I am now accepting all forms of advice and prayers. You know, people don't like to share like their secret shame videos, but I would love and, and trust me, I'm not I'm laughing with you, not at you. Like I oh, would love yes. we, are, we are laughing with well, Alexis, there exists a picture of you in very super <laughs> dark place. I have a picture of me in my blow dryer, but I I I would love to have like little videos or pictures of all of like the secret rituals and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or two AM you with your kid in the your son in, in that like low slung wrap. <laughs> with the blow dryer and this forced smile on your face that's that's, that's in the book <laughs> ah yes it is i'm like oh it's terrible so yes so so this woman's in a, a pretty dire situation i mean this is rough yeah and this is bad. It she's fearful about what's going to happen and she's like well you know is this normal yes this is absolutely normal classic can't fall asleep alone needs help every sleep cycle up all night madness that many people are locked into. So will sleep training help? A hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. He does not need to eat seven to 10 times a night. He's not starving to death. It's about a sleep association. Mm -hmm. Will he be up seven plus times a night to cry? Chances are no. Typically when you fix what's happening at bedtime, we stop nursing at sleep or to sleep or near sleep. And we put him down awake and we let him figure out how to fall asleep without your boob in his mouth. He will not need your boob in his mouth every 45 minutes all night long. Now, the first night or two can be a little rocky. Mm -hmm. There might be some periods of complaint, but it's not going to be what you're picturing. It's not going to be he wakes up every 45 minutes and cries for an hour. In fact, given how splintered his sleep is, especially early in the night, I mean, he's barely making it 20 minutes. What I would expect to see would be he's going to have a hard time falling asleep without that boob at bedtime, and there will be some upset about it. But once he successfully falls asleep which he will, mm-hmm. you'll get a, what for him will be a huge stretch. He might sleep two to three to four hours. And again, for a kid who's waking up every 45 to 60 minutes, a three to four hour stretch would be pretty amazing. All right. Next question. I have a seven and a half old month girl and a three-year-old boy. I co-slept with my son until I was too pregnant to handle it. And now I co-sleep with my baby girl. I love co-sleeping, but the lack of sleep anytime I'm not in bed has become too much. I never sleep trained my toddler. I was afraid of cry it out. I was always told they will grow out of their sleep problems in their own time. Well, (laughs) he's three now. And he, although he can fall asleep alone 50% of the time, it usually takes him well over an hour to fall asleep. And that's after a 20 minute consistent bedtime routine. 
Then he wakes up at 5 a.m. or earlier and can't back to get back to sleep no matter what we do. Can we do cry it out for a three-year-old? The answer is, can we, the question really is, can we set bedtime boundaries for a three-year-old? Thank you. Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah, he's three. He's, he's not an infant. Um, this is going to start with a conversation. You know, mm-hmm. he has words now. Um, I'm just, again, I'm feeling sympathy fatigue because she has to lie with him for over an hour every night. Presumably That's a bummer. The- and then that you is. fall asleep. And then you can't fall asleep when you're ready to go to bed. Well, and she's got a seven and a half month old. Yeah. So somebody's now dealing with this this baby while she's lying there for an hour trying to get her preschooler to go to bed. Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, I, you know, as we've talked about at length, I hate the term cry it out. Um, I'm, I much prefer slip, um, both because I came up with it and because I think it really speaks to what's happening. But the other thing is, again, this is a child now. I mean, with a six month old, we can't have a little family meeting and discuss some changes we're going to make. So, you know, we just kind of make a change and the child responds to it in the way they respond to it. And that's how life works. But a three year old is a kid. You know, oh. I like the idea of drawing pictures of how the bedtime routine will go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, draw a stick figure. This is pajamas. Then we draw another stick figure. This is potty. Well, <laughs> potty before pajamas. Then there's read books. Then there's whatever else. And then there's mom kisses you goodnight and leaves the room. And, and I'm a big fan, and this is true of parenting in general, of explaining why. Mm-hmm. Why are we making this change? And you want to be careful about your whys. I like to be as honest as possible, but you don't want to make it about the baby, and you don't want to yeah. make it about him being a big boy. Because being a big boy is not always an awesome thing. My hmm. seven-year-old just turned eight this weekend, something I'm feeling a little bit clumped about myself, and he is as well. I mean, he keeps saying, I still feel like I'm seven. I don't want to be eight. Mm-hmm. It, it's not always clear that big boy is a great thing to be. So what we really want to make it about is taking care of our bodies, healthy sleep. You know, mom needs to take care of her body. Mom mom needs this time for her adult needs. You know, uh, We got to sleep well so we can do these fun things. We can have strong, day. healthy energy to play, you know, for me to be a good mommy, for you to stay strong and healthy. Like, these are the fundamental reasons why we're making these changes. Um, and just be straight up with them and say, hey, bub, we need to change our bedtime routine. This mm-hmm. isn't working for me for this reason. So what do we want to do for our new bedtime routine? And then we can draw the pictures. Like Ashby said, you can pick, you know, p- take pictures on the internet and print them out and, you know, tape them to cardboard, whatever. And then as you're doing your steps, you're going to check them off with a marker or put a sticker on them. And, you know, but the clear boundary here is that after the last step of our routine, if that's books and kisses and hugs and whatever it is, he has to go to sleep on his own. Now, that could be uh, in a mattress on the floor near the adult bed, if that's what they're looking to do. That could be in his own bed, in his own room. I mean, there's there's various configurations of where he can sleep, but the answer is that in her bed with her is not working. Right. So that that is the boundary that we're going to communicate to him and that that's the change we're going to make. And then there's ways you can sort of, you know, entice him to be more flexible about making this change with you. We can let him pick out his own special bed buddy at the store. We can reward him for sleeping and falling asleep on his own in his own bed. We can do sticker reward charts. We can have pancakes for breakfast. We can tell him, you know, what are the bedtime rules? Well, we, we, we go in our bed, we stay in our bed. 
how do we fall asleep at bedtime? Do we scream? Do, do, does anybody fall asleep screaming? And you can make it a fun game. Like, like practice these things over lunch. Like, scream and run around the table. And then ask yeah. him, like, do, do I look like I'm ready to go to sleep? Oh, my child would be think that's hilarious. Oh, no, you don't. It's really funny. And then you kind of mime, like, closing your eyes on your head on the table. Does this look like I'm going to sleep? Yes. Yes. And you reinforce these messages. What do we do? Well, we lie down. We cuddle our buddy. We can sing songs to ourselves. We close our eyes. Does anybody sleep with their eyes open? No. Does anybody sleep with their standing straight up? No. We lie down. Oh, you know what, Alexis? Now you say this. Now that I have a dog, which is recent, man, relating things to the pet works so well on my three-year-old. Like, does the dog run around and scream when he goes to sleep? No. no. What does the dog do? Oh, it works so well for so many things. So, yeah. So, it's it's not – it's a conversation. It's a boundary. And it's following through. If the rule is we stay in bed at bedtime, then we stay in bed at bedtime. What happens if he doesn't stay in his bed? You know, that's the natural consequence. Well, what what does your family say about that? We walk him back to bed. Do we, you know, put up a baby gate? You know, what are what are the consequences that flow naturally from him yeah. adhering to or not adhering to uh, the the new bedtime policies? Now, I will say I try to make it more about reward and less about mm-hmm. consequences. So it's more like sticker charts. It's special cuddle buddies. Yeah. You know, maybe he gets to pick out special sheets and blankets for his new bed that's going to be for him. Um, you know, I, I much prefer to make it about the upside potential for why this is a good thing more so than focusing on the consequences of, hey, if you get out of bed 500 times, I'm going to put up the baby gate. You know, like that's yeah. that's a fallback, but not where we want to lead with. <laughs> right. All right. Next question. When can we go to our sleep chain train child in the middle of the night? I'm completely paranoid about losing any of the hard won ground we've gained. So I don't go to her at all at night. However, at the moment, she has a cold and is struggling to get to sleep. She cried for over an hour at bedtime the other night and is waking a bit more and crying at night. My three-year-old has the same cold and I comforted her in the night the other night. Yet I'm not doing the same for my poor wee baby. The thing that would comfort her is boob. (laughs) Am I doing the right thing to stick to my guns and let her work it out for herself? Or can I afford to be less paranoid that, for example... Feeding her to sleep for the odd night would mean total regression. Doom. Doom. So I think the answer lies somewhere in between. I mean, we don't want to just say, oh, we're sick. We're going to feed completely to sleep every night now. And, oh, well, yeah, then when the illness is over, the expectation is going to still be that feed to sleep. You know, there's, but, a, there's a spectrum, right? Because this woman is terrified. She's terrified yeah. of sort of breaking the independent sleep that she's established. Yeah. On the other hand, a common sentiment that I see that I honestly find kind of frustrating is this idea that as soon as your child is sleep is sick, all sleep rules go out the window. People say, oh, yeah, everything's out the window when they're sick. Everything's out the window. <laughs> well, maybe if they're like deathly ill, but <laughs> a cold, No. Yeah, so you know, figure that your 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 kids are going to be sick or have a sniffle or a cold for most of the time for the first oh. few years. You know, Especially I mean, in the winter, yeah, it's going to be every day. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a constant. So, so if we say, oh, rules go out the window, then then that's where the whole issue of oh, well, we're constantly retraining. I'm like, well, yeah, because mm-hmm. you're throwing the rules out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other hand, you have this woman who's, like, petrified that if she, like, walks into her infant's room, like, you know, all bets are off. 
I think the key though is for me is, as you mentioned, how sick are they? You know, yeah. like a little bit of a sniffle versus sick, sick. Um, is and every- I, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, is everything else going right? So when sometimes when kids are sick, they take to take they take long la- naps, right? Right. So when she's like, "Oh, the baby had a really hard time falling asleep at bedtime, and it took her over an hour," my first thought is, "Well, if she took really long naps that day because mm-hmm. she was sick, she might have needed a temporarily late bedtime because she was napping an unusually long amount." Could be. I, I don't know, but that's I would wonder about scheduling things that pop up when kids are sick. Um, uh, the other five, since the other five questions we just answered were all about independent sleep at bedtime or nap time, the line I would draw is, I'm not, if I sleep train diligently to get out of nursing to sleep at bedtime, I would not go back to nursing to sleep at bedtime. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I would try something else. And the the golden egg that you want to try to preserve as much as possible is that independent sleep at bedtime. So I might try padding to sleep mm-hmm. some at bedtime something a little less complete so if we have like a spectrum yeah. whatever you needed to get out of at bedtime to begin with ideally you never go back to so in this case it's right. the boob so the boob yeah. is off the table but other things are on the table and and you know padding you know head rubbing butt padding if you needed to because she was wildly ill and really struggling you know picking her up and then doing the little nose Frida suctiony thing and then, you know, rocking and singing a little bit to help calm her down, you know, and then putting her back down. Like, I mean, there are, there, you know, there are options, but ideally you never go back to that thing that you needed to get out of. And also, ideally, if you can do it while she remains in her bed, that's mm-hmm. ideal. Now, that's ideal. Yeah. if you can't, you can't. Sometimes you have to pick up, right. maybe like read yeah. a few extra books, maybe, you know, go get a little sip of water, like things happen, but you know, your your goal is to do as little as possible and to stick to the norm as much as is possible as soon as she's feeling better and not to let these new things become habits. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say that for the most part, you know, once you've fully night weaned a baby, I would be really resistant to feeding a child at night. Now, yeah, we don't know how old this child is. We don't know. The so, child is poor and wee, but he's wee. She's a wee baby. He's wee. So, so let's assume she's like five or six months. So like the yeah. younger a child is, the more sort of inclined I am to offer a little feeding at night if, mm-hmm. if it feels right. The older they get, the more stingy I would encourage you to be. So, right. you know, if this child were like 14 months old, I would be like, no, we're done with that. If you want to night nurse a baby, go have another baby, but we're done here. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on how little she was, you know, maybe... Maybe, sure, if she's sick, a little dehydrated, one feeding that we rewean when she's feeling better. Yeah, I mean, that's a judgment call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Our, our last question for today. My husband is currently deployed overseas, and I'm having trouble establishing a solid routine for our five-and-a-half-month-old. He doesn't like anything but me holding him. I'm losing my mind, and we have no family nearby. I've started getting him used to his own bed, which seems to be going well, down to two-night feedings. I am so lost on naps. He won't sleep in the swing or in his bed, and he only wants to sleep on me. He will cry for over an hour and miss nap time. If I put him in the swing, he still cries and it's a nightmare. I have loud white noise going. I stop checking in because that does not help, but I have no idea what to do with him. The swing was working, but not anymore. I have no relief, and some days it reduces me to a puddle. Mm. So, oh, this is one of those where I think. 
what you have is sort of normal baby sleep in a really hard situation. Yeah, yeah. You have deployed husband, no family, no support, nothing to help, and sort of normal and almost sort of kind of good five-month-old sleep. Mm -hmm. Which is still really hard. Yeah, I mean, she's basically solo parenting uh, and has no tribe or support around. Um, Yeah. So I think, you know, the implication is he's falling asleep okay uh, in his crib at night and he wakes yeah. to eat twice a night, which is... Down two feet. Yeah, like, like, hooray, that's great at five months. Yeah, good that's work. awesome. Yep. I mean, I would, I, because of her situation, I would probably push to see if we could wean off one of those feedings mm-hmm. uh, because two feedings a night is going to prevent her from getting six hours of uninterrupted sleep. Mm-hmm. And because she's basically completely supportless, I, I think for her to get six hours of sleep would really be right. a life-changing transition. <laughs> it would be less reduction to a puddle days. Yeah, she'd feel uh, a lot more um, strong about how things are going. So, um, so yeah, so I would encourage that just because certainly he's old enough and um, one feeding a night would be fine. And probably if we just kind of slow, slowly reduced how much he's getting on the first feeding of the night, it wouldn't be a big deal. This isn't like a big challenge. This could be pretty straightforward. So the issue is the napping. So he only naps on her. And this is a, this human mattress syndrome, um, you know, this is a common thing, right? When they're newborns, the sleep drive is dinky, naps are hard. So what works is, is the four seasons of soothing, which is being held or lying on mom. Like there's nothing better than that. Mm-hmm. So we do that because your options are like a two hour nap if he's on you or like a 20 minute struggle of a nap if you try to put him into the crib. Right. So we just sort of default to this behavior because any deviation from it is just not smooth. Mm-hmm. And then the months go by and the months go by and we're alone and you know, we're kind of getting resentful and frustrated. And because she doesn't have a partner handy or any help, she doesn't have anyone to come over and take the baby while she showers, eats, you know, cleans house, does laundry, whatever she's trying to do. So we've now gotten locked into this habit where for five and a half months, we've taught this kid that napping happens on mom. And anytime you take away mom, he freaks out and it's a big fight. Mm-hmm. Um so he won't sleep in the swing or the bed, has to be on mom. So as we've discussed with earlier questions, we have options. Um, she mentions that if she puts him down, he'll cry for over an hour. Uh, yes, he will. Um, probably for more than a couple of days. You would need to commit to that, putting him down in his bed and just letting him fall asleep on his own for days or weeks before he will figure out how to do this because he's used to you and you are not there. And this is a big transition for him. Um, So doing it once here or there isn't going to work. Also, if you're going to go down that path of full extinction, you need to commit to that path, which means we can't, you know, try for the first nap of the day, concede defeat, and then slap him back on your lap for the nap, you know, an hour or two later. Um, That course of action means you're not going to have him sleep on you at nap time anymore. That's just done. Yeah. Yeah, you had total commitment. It's hard, hard stuff when it you're is total commitment. No help, no it is late week. evening. Hard. Right? It's not like it's uh, not I, like I one weekend. At this age sometimes there's like that third cat nap in the mm-hmm. evening and even a little older babies than five and a half months. And that nap very rarely is going to happen independently. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes people are trying to they're like, oh we can't get the third nap in the crib. That's sort of the exception. Get so yeah, so if 
if I mean, if I was having coffee with this this lady, I would say, listen, you are tapped out. This puddle lifestyle is not working. So what I would do is I would put him down on his, I would do my little pre-nap routine. I would put him down for the first two naps of the day for one hour. If he sleeps, great. If he doesn't sleep, that sucks, but that's life and we go about our day. The third nap of the day is not going to happen in a crib, but it can no longer happen on you. So ideally, that would be an on-the-go nap in a stroller or you take a car, run an errand, he falls asleep in the mm-hmm. car. Probably not baby-wearing because we're trying to get him out of the habit of sleeping on you and a right. baby-wearing nap would be on you. So um, so that's what I would do. And it's going to be rough for probably one to two weeks and then it will get much, much better. Now, if this poor puddle lady said, no, no, I can't, I just can't do that. Her backup plan would be the gradual things we've discussed earlier, which are going to take a lot longer and require the same level of commitment where, you know, we start lying down with him for naps, but instead of having him be on you, he's next to you. And we can rub his back or rub his head and he's next to you, but we're going to, you know, lie down so he's on the mattress and not on you. And then, you know, gradually put some space in there so that, you know, you're six inches away and nine inches away so that you're not touching, but you're present you know, these things can work too. That's just a much longer time frame for right. to, until you're going to see progress. And then, you know, depending on how puddly she's feeling, that might just be too long of a timeline. But that yep. those are the options, really. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I hope this woman hears that, by the way, and and maybe takes our advice because I I feel I feel badly for her. <laughs> I know. It's hard. It's a hard situation. Yeah, and I would. When you have no help or you have kind of extenuating circumstances like that, sometimes just biting the bullet and doing the quicker way is better for everybody's mental health. Well, I I just remember when we had our first, uh, I was basically in a panic spiral every day. And if I didn't have a partner coming home from work in the evenings, like, I mean, I was basically at the end of my rope by like five o'clock. That's hard. I uh, I'm always sympathetic when, for whatever reason, people are single parenting. They don't have a partner. Their partner's deployed. Uh, that's tough. That's a tough uh, uphill road. And and you have my sympathy and support. So I hope you hear this and uh, are ready to make a change. So once again, I want to thank Ashby for making time to podcast with me today after our technical difficulties yesterday. Um, we've wrapped up some really great questions today that reflect common issues that a lot yeah. of parents are dealing with. Independent sleep at bedtime and nap time. Independent sleep, bedtime, nap time. And as always, if you want to ask questions that we address on our podcast, you can email us at podcast at preciouslittlesleep.com. Um, we do these, what, about every other month or so? Sure, yeah. And, like um, and once again, we want to thank our official podcast sponsor, The Reverie Power Bed. Yeah. Check out momsneedsleep.com backslash PLS. Yeah, learn more about how this power bed works with your existing frame and mattress to make your bed more comfortable and more functional for the things you're doing in it as a parent, for childcare, for feeding, for nursing, for reading to toddlers, to movie nights, to handling sick kids, to handling your own recovery and needs and C-section recovery and being comfortable sitting up and caring for infants in the middle of the night. So a lot of great benefits for how this could help make your bed more comfortable and more functional for you as a parent. So check it out. 